0: This podcast is sponsored by the Evie Clinic. Preparation for life.
1: Welcome to the Baby Tribe podcast, where we will explore the beautiful chaos of parenthood and discover the joys and challenges of nurturing our little ones. We are your hosts, Katie Mugen and Afif El Kafash.
0: Each week, we'll bring you the latest information on all things to do with parenting and delve into insightful conversations with experienced parents to bring you practical tips, heartwarming stories and a dose of laughter that every parent can relate to.
1: So grab your coffee, find a cosy spot and join us as we embark on this unforgettable journey of parenthood together. Welcome to the baby tribe.
0: What cosy spot is a parent going to find?
1: Just put on your ear pods and out you go for that walk and you'll get to tune in and listen to myself and Afif talking everything small babies related. Let's get to
0: it. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Baby Tribe Podcast. Katie, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good. I can't believe we're getting closer and closer to Christmas, Afif.
0: It's very autumnal, isn't it? It is. And the colours on the trees are just absolutely beautiful. I've been dying to use the word autumnal. (laughs) And I finally get to use it. Very autumnal.
1: It is very autumnal. You've been away, Afif. You're only just uh, recently back from Kuwait.
0: Yes. And speaking of weather there, it was 35 degrees. Was it? Yes, I know. Still still in November. Because I was thinking he looked a bit pasty, actually. (laughs) Well that's cuz I it's stayed exhausting. That's cuz I stayed indoors quite a lot looking after my mom cuz my father actually had to travel to Jordan for a while and I flew back to Kuwait over the midterm break just to look after my mum for a while. I'm originally Palestinian and I'm sure a lot of you know that because of some of the posts I put up on my Instagram page. And my dad actually had to travel to Jordan to try and get money to some of her family across in the West Bank because the situation over there isn't great at the moment.
1: No, it's so emotional. I was only saying to fief this morning when I came in that I, I find it hard to keep watching things that are going on through social media because it's just so upsetting. You know, and I think many people will say the same. It's not that you're trying to ignore it, but when you're just seeing so many dead kids and babies and families being torn apart, it's tough.
0: I hear a lot of people on social media saying that, you know, you have to watch, you have to watch and feel guilty for not watching those videos. And I'm a bit uncomfortable with that in that, yes, if you want to support, you could probably do some social media posts voicing your support and maybe donating and things like that. But don't feel obliged to actually have a look because it can lead to trauma. Yeah, it's so tough. Yeah,
1: it is. It's it's very tough. I think the world is watching on and it's just difficult to watch on when you're I suppose when we're sitting here in a very privileged position that we have a house over our, our heads and we've got our kids that are safe beside us. It's just it's tough. Yeah, yeah. So I hope your family are
0: safe. Yeah. Thank you very much. Today we are going to talk about um, car seat safety in babies, predominantly infants, but we'll touch on children as well. And I think it's a very important topic to discuss because I just read recently that unfortunately, the number of road deaths for 2023 have already exceeded those of 2022. And we still have a good two months to go before the end of the year. So we've had a particularly bad year with road traffic accidents, road traffic deaths, unfortunately. And as we know, children are the most likely to be affected in an RTA. So having an approach to car seat safety is essential. And that's why we decided to do this bit for the episode today. So Katie, take it away.
1: Yeah, I think I remember us speaking back, I think it's one of our earlier episodes of the Baby Tribe podcast that we used to laugh about seeing the parents Generally, the partner is trying to get the car seat in or out of the car when they bring their baby home. But it is something that you should be educated on. And there's many places that can show you the RSA go around now and they do um, safety checks on your car seats. But also they will show you how to ensure that
0: you've got the car seat put in safely. I remember when I was a kid and this is, you know, in the early 80s that used to bundle as many children in the back seat and we'd fight over who gets to go in the boot. You know, and no, nobody used seatbelts. No. And, you know, people carried people, people carried children. And we all became these potential, um, you know, projectiles whenever. (laughs) I know it's hard to think of, like, I I still
1: think of going to matches like we would play badminton. We used to get in. um, My friend's mom was a badminton coach and she had a tiny little Ford. Escort, I think. I still remember it red. And you would have it on a rainy day, like when she dropped people home, you could have like 10 kids, literally one on top of the other, four or five bodies on the bottom and then piled in. When I think of how unsafe it was, but I suppose, look, that's through education and research. We know things have changed for the better. But also, I think
0: there were a lot less cars on the road. And we drove a lot slower. And people drove a lot slower. Now, these high powered cars these days and the the amount of cars on the road. And I think the weather is getting worse. You know, we're getting all these flash floods that I don't think used to happen as often before. So things have evolved and things have changed. So that's why I think strapping your kids in a safe manner is very important.
1: And we know, like uh, research shows, the children are the most uh, among the most vulnerable road users and passengers. Um, and that's why, by law, all children under 150 centimetres in height or, 30 or 36 kgs in weight must use a child restraint system. And that's suitable for their height and weight. So it is really important that we pick and choose the right car seat for our infants. So I suppose the very first thing we're going to talk about is choosing the right car seat. So first and foremost, rear-facing is really, really important. And the longer you can keep a child rear-facing is actually uh, much more beneficial um, because during an impact for the head and neck movement, um, having them rear-facing um, will lead to a much more better outcome
0: on the other side. And that's especially important in younger children that have zero control of their head. The head in relation to the rest of the body in the first few months is large, very heavy. Babies don't have a lot of control over it. So if, you're, if your seat is forward-facing and there's an impact, the head will swing forward suddenly and can cause a lot of damage. Whereas the chances of that happening when the car seat is facing the rear is much less.
1: Yeah, and you'll see now more and more companies are producing rear-facing car seats that will actually go up with the weight, uh, right up to possibly £35. Alongside that, um, even the American Academy of Pediatrics does recommend that infants and toddlers will ride rear-facing as long as possible until they reach the maximum height limit and weight limit, which is really important. Proper installation is the next thing, as I've said before. Um, there are RSA goes around to many different spots all around Ireland and actually will check your car Seat to make sure that it's installed properly, one thing that you really need to make sure is that it's not wobbling. So when it's actually in, a lot of them have Isofix now. But if you are still using the seatbelt method, then you need to make sure that it's as tight as possible. One thing uh, when we talk about installation as well is when we're in when we're installing. I was going to say installing the baby into the car seat. When we're putting the baby in the car seat, it's really important. No coats. Um, no extra blankets in under the baby that the baby is the only thing that goes in and that there's a proper if they need head support if we're talking about the newborn infant that that it's fitted correctly Um, when you pull the straps tight you should barely be able to put your two fingers in between the baby's chest and the car seat straps Uh, when you end up uh, putting uh, one of the big coats on even cardigan like a really thick cardigan coat, jacket then basically the straps aren't as tight and research will show if you watch some of those videos that will actually show demo um, models um, in car crashes, it will show that a baby can literally come straight out between those the straps if using those car seats, uh, if you're using a coat in the car.
0: So place the blanket on over the baby if required. And that's particularly important during the winter months. You often see pictures of babies strapped in car seats where they have this very, very thick Michelin man jackets. That, very you know, cute though. They're very <laughs> cute, but they're, they can be deadly because your child can slip out. And on that... It is preferable to buy car seats with a five-point harness rather than a three-point harness. By that, I mean, you know, there are straps that go over the baby's shoulders and then in between their legs, and that's a three-point harness. And then there are ones that have additional two straps that go around the baby's hips and anchor the um, straps to the back of the chair. It is preferable to have the five-point harness because a side impact can send a baby flying from the side, and a three-point harness sometimes does not protect the baby as much as a five point harness that can actually protect the baby from a sideways impact from them coming out of the chair to the side.
1: And you've done. Uh, you've just jumped to the next point there. So position in the car um, it greatly impacts uh, safety as well. So putting the baby, what they recommend, in the middle of the car is by far the safest place. Um, but obviously that does depend on the size of the car and everything else that you're hosting. But um, yes, you're right. Five point harness all the way. Never purchase a second hand car seat um, unless, I suppose, you know it's a neighbour, friend, or somebody very close to you. Buying a second hand always leads to the possibility that they've been in a crash, um, and then obviously they are ineffective.
0: And if you are going to use a secondhand car seat, make sure you check the expiration date on them. I know a lot of people don't realize that car seats can expire, but they do. They all should have an expiration date on them. The straps can get loose, the plastic can get loose and things like that. So they're only guaranteed for a certain period. I think it's five years. I could be mistaken, but I think it's around five years. Um, So definitely that is very important to consider if you are thinking about using a second hand car seat.
1: Absolutely. And I suppose it's also some something to consider if this is your second child or third because we always have a I suppose we always hand we always have the hand me downs and things like that, which obviously I know they're very expensive, but it is something to consider when we are looking at reusing. Um I suppose in conclusion baby safety in the car is non-negotiable. I think you'll agree with that, Afif. Yes. Um, And I suppose it's really important that we adhere to kind of infant car seat safety guidelines. So I suppose you're taking a kind of significant step towards ensuring the well-being of your child during every car journey. And it doesn't just stop at the infant stage or the toddler stage. It is recommended that car seat safety is adhered to even in the children up until the age of 12. So when we look at when do we stop using a car seat, we are looking at when a child has reached a certain height point, when they've reached a certain uh, weight point, and this is all in combination, and we have to look at the positioning of how the seat belt will strap directly around the child. So, kids, some kids will reach that before the age of twelve, and some kids could be older than that. So, we're talking about a booster seat in this situation.
0: And a child can ride safely without a booster seat when they pass the five-step test. So, these are the things to watch out for. Their back needs to be against the vehicle, so their back needs to be able to reach the back of the car seat. Also their knees should be able to bend at the edge of the seat. So their legs need to be long enough that their knees are slightly over the edge of the seat so that the knees can bend down. Also, the lap belt, so the part of the belt that goes over the lap, has to be on top of the thighs. And this, to me, I think is really, really important the shoulder belt needs to sit between the neck and the shoulders, not across the neck, because that can cause serious damage in the event of the accident. And they can't be slouching, they can't be leaning over the edge or kind of slouching down. So they need to be able to sit properly in order for the car seat to protect them safely.
1: The only thing we didn't actually mention was the airbag in the front car seat. If babies are traveling in the front of the car, you need to be very aware that a car and um, the airbag shouldn't be on when we've got, um, or there's a distance between where the car seat is and where the airbag can. Can come out. And that will differ depending on the car you are driving in.
0: So I hope you found that piece on car seats helpful and please drive safely, especially in and around the Christmas period and stay safe out there. So Afif, who is our guest today? We have Minister Helen McEntee, the current Minister for Justice, and we have an amazing conversation. I'm sure you're all are going to agree. So Minister McEntee comes from County Meath, and she has been interested in politics ever since her early school days. She actually went to university and did a degree in economics, politics and law at Dublin City University. And in the summer of 2010, she began to work in Leinster House with her late father, who was then an opposition TD and later moved with him to work in the Department of Agriculture after the 2011 election, when he was appointed Minister of State for Food and Horticulture. Unfortunately, the sudden death of her father had a profound impact on her. She resolved to continue his work, winning that seat in 2013 Meath East by election, her first big promotion came after her re-election in 2016 when the former Taoiseach De Kenny named her Minister of State for Mental Health and Older People. After Leo Varadkar took the reins of Fine Gael in the summer of 2017, Minister McEntee was appointed as Minister of State for European Affairs. But we know her, I think, most for her appointment as Minister for Justice in the middle of 2020. This episode of the Baby Tribe podcast is sponsored by the Evie Clinic. Eevee offers personalized multidisciplinary care in a state-of-the-art environment ranging from consultants, high-end scanning and prenatal screening to expert advice on diet, exercise and mental health. The EV's team of world-class consultants in obstetrics, gynecology and pediatrics provide the highest standards of care for you and your baby. Contact Evie today on 012933984 or visit the website at eevee.ie for more information. Minister McEntee, Helen, thank you so much for joining us on the Baby Tribe podcast. We're super excited that you are here with us.
2: Thank you for having me. It's great. Oh no, we're
0: we're yeah. delighted. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career to date, if you don't mind?
2: Well, um, well, at the moment, I am currently a TD for the constituency of Mid East. Uh, I've been TD for ten years now, which is hard to believe. Uh, I'm also the Minister for Justice. Uh, And I've been in the Department of Justice since uh, June of 2020. Obviously didn't start there. So um, I would have, I'm from County Mead. So I I went to school locally, primary school and and secondary school in Navan. And after that, I studied economics, politics and law in DCU. So I always, when I was younger, I probably had more of a view on politics than anything else. But uh, I suppose we always had, or on, on law, sorry, but we always had politics in our house as well. Uh, with my dad would have been involved locally and and just uh, involved with a party locally and campaigning and and individual campaigns. But um, I was in college and I think like a lot of people when I finished my degree I wanted to work and I wanted to earn money and I wanted to be my own person and do my own thing. So I started working with Citibank. Um, So I went the economic route actually which wasn't wasn't probably in my head at all but I was in Citibank for uh, about a year And um, went back to college again and did a master's in um, journalism and media communications. Uh, And it was after that, then I got into politics. So I started working uh, with my dad, who at that stage had kind of done a shift and had actually been elected himself. So it was much later on in life uh, for him. He was uh, elected a TD and then became a minister briefly. So I was working with him for a number of years and then uh he died tragically or he 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 passed away suddenly um I'm sorry to hear that. yeah no it's it's uh it's 10 years nearly 11 years now so yeah time time flies by but um i suppose i i i had an option at that stage do i stay in politics and do i run and try and win his seat or do i do do something completely different so uh so i put myself forward and and ran for election and Thankfully, it was successful um, and I've had two successful elections since then. And it's just been a whirlwind, to be honest. Uh, I've gone from, you know, being elected TD. I was then appointed Minister for Mental Health for a year um, because there was then a shift and a change in government and I was moved into the Department of Foreign Affairs uh, where we were in the midst of Brexit uh, and there was so much happening. I was Minister for European Affairs, so I spent three years travelling to every corner of Europe and beyond Uh, talking about Brexit and the challenges for for Ireland in particular. Uh, And then uh, after the last election, I was moved into the Department of Justice, which, again, is a fairly busy department, a fairly busy ministry. It's never never a dull day. There's lots happening, but it's great. I love what I have to say.
0: You've described a very interesting 10 years and how you've pretty much gone into the deep end from the outset, in your political career with Brexit and the COVID and then a lot of challenges as well. But I want to bring you back to your parenting experience to start with, if that's OK. Yep. Um your firstborn is now two and a half, three years of age.
2: Yeah.
0: With all of that in the background, did you actually feel prepared as a parent to have a baby?
2: I think I did. Yeah. I mean, it's something we wanted for a while. Um, so we were delighted when it happened and um. I had a great pregnancy, I, you know, the usual. I, I felt maybe a little bit off the first trimester and, and up to maybe 12 weeks. But after that, I felt great. I had lots of energy, I was really busy. I was in the Department of Justice at that stage. So, you know, I, I was constantly on the go. Um, I was one of these people. I was prepared. I had the bag packed early. I had everything bought and washed and ironed and ready to go. Um, I think the biggest challenge was I, I had my finish date for work and I had agreed that with Sharon, my, my consultant and I was literally finishing up on the Wednesday. It was about two two and a half weeks before Michael was due. And I was doing radio that morning and I was in the office in the afternoon. And then I went up just for a checkup and I was thinking, right, I'm done. I'm going to get a Chinese. I'm going to go home and I'm going to put my feet up for two weeks. And I just never got home. She was like, no, you're not going anywhere. This baby is sideways and might come at any time and there might be an emergency. So uh, I had to ring Paul and say you need to get up here quickly and yeah find the two push that I hadn't packed or whatever it was. So up until that point, I felt very prepared and very ready, and then suddenly it uh, it all became very real. But in a way, it kind of was good because it got rid of any of the when will it happen and how will it happen and. That was probably the most bit you'd be anxious about.
0: I think we we always think that, you know, either yourself as a mum, as a pregnant mum or the consultant are in control, but really the baby's in control, 100%. And they they decide, they decide what happens. And what surprised you the most in the early days when you had Michael?
2: Firstly, probably how small he was. I come from a family of big babies. I was a big baby. My my brother had two very big babies. Uh, So I was expecting this big baby and uh, he was maybe seven two and then because he had a few just little issues there was no problems the first night he didn't have as much milk so we went down to six pound five ounces so I was trying to hold this tiny little thing um so I was trying to get my head around that I kind of expected to go home with a child that was half rared at that stage (laughs) um I think more so when I was at home I expect I, I kind of assumed that I'd be tired all the time But I don't know what it is. I think women's bodies are amazing when they're pregnant, even though, because I was breastfeeding, um, you're awake every couple of hours. I I felt fine. I felt like, you know, it was poor Paul who was exhausted all the time because he was doing a lot of other things as well. But um, I I surprisingly felt very able to be up half the night and then be up during the day and to mind him and, you know, which was good. I, I didn't expect that.
0: Was your second experience different in any way? Did you find it easier?
2: Yeah, I I think um, I mean the pregnancy again. I had a great pregnancy. Um, you're 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 minding a toddler as well because there was only maybe twenty twenty months between them, so you don't really have time to to sit uh, and relax when you're not working, whereas you would have the first time. And then when Vincent uh, was born, though, while I was concerned, I'd have forgotten everything and couldn't remember anything. It just comes back, and definitely, I was probably more relaxed and more chilled and. I don't know if it was because of that, but I feel Vincent certainly slept better and still sleeps better, and maybe is left to his own devices a little bit more. You know, obviously with within reason, but I certainly think you are a little bit more chilled. Um, you don't get as you don't get the time to yourself, but I mean that's fine. When when one is asleep, you're playing with the other, or you're minding the other, or you're doing something with the other. So it's busy, but it's great. Yeah.
0: It's it's certainly the second born, I often find person, from personal experience as well, that they are kind of a bit left to their own devices, you know, a bit more. And not that they're rare themselves, but, you know, you you focus so much on your firstborn, and then with the experience behind you, it does seem easier when the second one comes along in, in some aspects than the other.
2: It is. I mean, even now, so at the moment, Vincent is 10 and a half months, I suppose, at this yeah. stage, and he just had his checkup this week and... He's different to Michael and that Michael never wanted to crawl. He was always straight to walking. But I, I look back now and I wonder, well, did we give him enough time to do it or encouragement? Because we were just so focused on him. Whereas Vincent now, he's bum shuffling around the place. He's pulling himself up more. He's not crawling yet, but you can see he's trying to do it. And it's probably because we're not sitting staring at him, looking yeah, at him. No, absolutely. Wondering what's yeah. going on all the time. So, you know, there can be pluses and negatives to it, but you certainly you know, you, 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 you don't yeah, have yeah. the same ability to just sit staring at them all yeah,
0: I mean, on that, we have a, we've a funny video of my daughter when she was two and she was only beginning to talk and she learned a song in her crush and she wanted to recite it to us. So we were filming it with our camera and we were so delighted. And only when we were re-watching it, um, as she was reciting this for about a minute or two, we realised that our poor son Faisal was at the at the kind of, at the end, trying to literally climb up the shelves to try and reach something, and he managed somehow to do it himself. Yeah. As we were purely focused on my daughter, and um, yeah, he was able to do it. Of course, he put his life in danger, but
2: <laughs> you're like, no, <laughs> we he's were grand. Like, yeah,
0: he's grand, but we didn't even notice him. That's the thing. We only noticed him when we were rewatching.
2: I know you. Tell um, me what, these things happen, yeah. though. It's I like... want
0: to um, pivot a little bit and. Um, I read an, an article in the Irish Times recently, um, an interview with yourself where you spoke about you were at a meeting, at a women's business meeting about 10 years ago, where you gave a talk about women can do anything. In trim, yeah. yeah. In trim. Has, has that view evolved or changed given your experience so far in having two children?
2: My, my overall view hasn't changed in that I think women can do everything and they should be able to do everything. But it's hard. So I think that that particular talk, I was only just selected, it was 10 years ago um, and it was Women in Business and it was in, I think, Knightsbrook and Trim. And I was 26 and I was just selected and I was absolutely determined that I was going to do everything and we can do everything and we should be able to do everything. And it was only afterwards that I was speaking to a couple of the women and they said, you know, you're, you're right, but it's hard. Like when you have families, it's hard. And when you have children, it's hard and you're trying to juggle and it's like, oh, right. You know, and, and I suppose they were coming from the experience as well that maybe they felt it was just hard even because they were women and that there was still barriers in place and that there still wasn't the same equal opportunity maybe for, for, for men and women in that sense. So I, I certainly, as I've gotten on in my career and I'm obviously working in an environment that's still male dominated politics um, at every level, whether it's councillor level at, at, at local elections uh, in the Shannon or, or in the Doll um or even at a ministerial level, you still have more men than women. So you do find that, you know, you're 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 facing challenges still. Uh and then certainly since I've had the boys, I don't think my work has suffered. I, I think I'm I'm still absolutely committed, but you are always grappling with how do I get that balance. Yeah. Um, you know, beforehand, I suppose I I like you know, I'm I'm together with Paul quite a number of years. Um I have a large group of friends. The friends were probably the first ones to 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 be sacrificed if I had work to do. And then obviously uh, you try and get the balance with your other half. But with the kids, it's, it's a struggle to try and make sure that you get that right balance. Uh, and it is a challenge. And often some weeks I just feel guilty half the week because I might not have been home for two nights or I've only seen them for half an hour in the morning or... You know, I've only seen them on Zoom all day, which I don't know what people did before Zoom. At least I can see them when yeah. I'm not going to be home yeah. before bed. Um, but it is a challenge and um, there's no point in saying it isn't. So I think my outlook is still the same. You know, we should be able to do all the same things as as uh, a man can do. But it is difficult. And I think sometimes different responsibilities still fall on women in a different way than they, they do on men.
0: I personally think that you have been an amazing inspiration to women. Um, Thank you. And and I really do mean it because the the emerging theme that we've had in the podcast so far of women in that are running their own businesses in, in high profile jobs, that the onus almost falls on them to raise children and also maintain a career as well. You don't see that pressure from society, I suppose, on men. And I wanted to sort of explore that with you. You took maternity leave during your time in office. And I think that's an amazing thing that you did, because to me, it demonstrates that it is okay to do. And that is something that should be supported rather than frowned upon. Um, When you took your mat leave, um, you spoke about having mostly support, but there were some criticisms as well of you taking that. If you don't mind me asking, could you share some insights on how that was perceived in the political field?
2: Uh, well, I've had two maternity leaves in, in a short space of time, but I mean, both times from a political point of view, my colleagues have been nothing but supportive. The now Taoiseach would have been taunted at the time. I mean, he was very straight up, you know, straight up and saying you need to take time. You have to, to take time off with your family, which was great. And I really appreciated it. I hadn't even, to be honest, I hadn't even considered or thought how it would work even before then. Um, Nobody's taken maternity leave before, particularly at Cabinet. Um, when the constitution was written I suppose they didn't have women in mind either so there was no such thing as as maternity leave um, from a political point of view but also because of the number of cabinet ministers that we can have we can only have a maximum of 15 we have that now so for somebody else to step in and me to stay there 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 was just constitutional difficulties as well as anything else so we came up with an arrangement, I suppose you could say, where I became a minister without portfolio, but was still a cabinet minister. And then somebody took over my brief. So if you're gone out of the country, I think for longer than a week as Minister for Justice, you have to have somebody else step in because something might arise or there might be an issue on security or policing or anything like that. So to be gone for six months, you absolutely needed somebody else to fill the role. Um, So that meant I had on two occasions, two different colleagues taking on an additional role as well as their own. So, I mean, that was a huge ask of them and hugely grateful that they were able to do it, but obviously not where we want to be in this day and age. So we're still working through it. There's no quick solution to it. Uh, There's possibly a referendum might be needed to change it, which is not the norm for uh, most work environments. Um, But I think what it shows, even if it is an arrangement for now, that it can happen and that it can you know, that it is possible. But I have to say, and even just back to your previous point, I am extremely lucky in that my husband is as involved and wants to be. And in my first pregnancy, he took six months after I took the six months. So it just meant that we have an absolute equal involvement and footing and, and approach to things, um, which I think has been hugely helpful. And certainly in my work, it's it's been hugely helpful. Yeah,
0: I was going to get to that in the fact that you know that should be regarded as the norm, where the the, the second it is
2: in other countries. Yeah, it is yeah, in other this, countries. The
0: second partner needs to uh, take on the same responsibility or burden. I don't want to call it a burden because you know
2: <laughs> well, <it laughs> we love be. them; they're yes, great do. all absolutely, the time. <laughs>
0: absolutely, we do. The emerging theme again I had from people that were able to maintain a career was the support they got from their partner. Yeah, and I'm not saying that to, in in a way of raise, as in, oh, look how great the partners are for stepping in. I don't think it should be regarded as something that they are stepping into. It's part of their job, I suppose, to, to shoulder the burden of raising kids in the early period and that it should be an equal partnership, as you said. And I think this is an amazing example of how it should be. So on that, how do you think we can change the societal attitudes towards women that want uh, a career as well as raise children at the same time?
2: I think it does come down to there being an equality in in men and women taking that leave. So a lot of the reason that women won't take leave um, is because they feel, well, they won't get ahead or they'll fall behind on their male partners. And for a lot of people still, men only take In some instances, it's still only a couple of weeks. In some, it's a couple of months. And I mean, it was certainly an exception for Paul, his company. It was a new policy and they really wanted to push this. Uh, And he was the first to take it in his company. So it was unusual to both of us at the same time. Um, But it is, you see, in other countries working where you have an equal... Uh, parents can take equal time and it just means in work everybody is on an equal footing there's no person that's ahead of the other uh, in any way shape or form so we're not quite there yet I don't think I mean certainly if you look at certain sectors they're doing more and I think three months is possibly kind of a little bit more than norm in certain areas Uh, obviously you have parents leave us now which we're extending and going up to the nine weeks and that I think is hugely helpful as well and the more men take it but it, it is down to the fact that the more men that take it, the more other men will take it and see. Uh, and maybe there's a changing um, generation as well that look at things differently. I, you know, one of my uncles, when Paul was saying he was taking it off, he said, I'd rather stick pins in my eyes, <laughs> you know, just it's not his, it wasn't his thing. He grew up in a different time. He had a yeah. different view to it or a different approach. But I think that's shifting and changing, and I think in your generation as well have a different view on on taking time off
0: yeah oh no it's 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 not easy and uh, myself and my wife used to joke we are both physicians and we both used to do 24 36 hour shifts in the hospital when we were training and i remember when my daughter was six, seven months, I used to look forward to that 36 hour shift yeah. in the hospital. <laughs> you know, it was a, lot a bit easier. of time off. Yeah, a yeah. bit, bit yeah. of time but off. But she
2: balanced it between you, obviously.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, she did shoulder the burden, I have to say, initially in the early phase of of, um, of our training. We had two contrasting experiences. We had our, our, our daughter in Ireland and we had our son in Toronto. Okay. And in Toronto, she had a whole year of maternity leave supported okay. by, by the Canadian government where she got... of her salary um, paid for the whole year. Um,
2: We'll have to, I'll have to bring that back to my colleagues now. So,
0: I mean, it is, I suppose it is something, I mean, the way they argued was that instead of paying you 100% for six months, we'll pay you 80% for a year. year. At least you can, if you choose to, can take a whole year. Um, And that's something that we found was very helpful. It meant that she was under no pressure to, to, to go back, you know, so... I mean, I think we have some way to go to try and support it. Now there was nothing for for the fathers, you know. Okay, so that's so something. That's, yeah. Yet. So you need to get that. So balance I really, I really, I really think well. that you need to get that balance right. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned about um, male counterparts, I, I always find it interesting that um, I mean there are a lot of young TDs as well that have young children, but yeah. you n- you never see um, the your male counterparts being. Um, I suppose, criticized for continuing to work while their kids are young. And I think that public perception does need to change. No slight on the the person themselves, but I'm more talking about the societal attitudes, that it's always the mum that gets um, the comments about, you know, you're returning to work too early or too late. And do you think that's something that needs to change as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, I can think of colleagues recently and they've had, their partner, you know, their, their wives have had babies, they've had babies and they've taken a bit of time off, but yet they've been back soon enough. But I mean, that's, you know, I suppose that's their decision and I wouldn't comment on it. So I think yeah. it should it should respond in the same way. I think people uh, shouldn't comment on what a person decides to do. I, I have uh, female colleagues who would be a bit older and when they had children, they were back to work uh, quite early on Now maybe they feel they had to be and, and they might have worked in the legal profession and other areas and, and they didn't have a choice. But um, I think it is very much a personal choice. I mean, the, the first time um, I was on maternity leave. It was all very positive, and you know, even people I didn't know or on social media or things like that. Second time, maybe not so much. I think it was kind of, oh, here she goes again. And okay, you know, um, where you, you know, you'd see smart comments and, yeah. um. You just ignore it, to be yeah. honest. So you kind of think, well, if they've nothing better to do than comment on what I'm doing with my life, then they've nothing better to do, you know. So, uh, but it's interesting, the shift on the second one. When you, you the first one, it was great and it was something new and different. But the second one, for some people, now I say that, yeah. um, it's a huge amount of support again. But you can just see that there is still an undercurrent there, yeah. um, which is... You know, not just what I'm facing, but that other women face as well. Absolutely. As well.
0: And and that shouldn't absolutely shouldn't be the case. Um so we're we'll move on. You've returned to work and you've returned to work since I think June, is that is that right? June, first of June, yeah. First of June. Yeah. And you talked about trying to maintain a better balance between um, you know, your life at work and your life at home. Um, do you have any um insight or strategies on how you're able to manage that at the moment to try to strike the balance if possible?
2: Sometimes I do it well, other times I don't, but um, it does require just being firm and saying no to things. So I have an awful habit of saying yes to everything. Um, Thank you for
0: s- saying yes to this, by the way. So. Sorry? Yes. <laughs> well, no, this is, yes. this, this is great.
2: Um, and no, I say yes to things because I want to do them. And then I suddenly have to figure out how am I going to fit everything into my day or into my week. Um, and my team are always giving out a comeback and suddenly I, I get called in and did you agree to this? Are you doing this? We don't have time for this. So I have to have, I've had to start saying no a bit more. Um, And I have in fairness, because, you know, um, early on in politics, I think you think if you're not at everything and you don't meet everyone, then you're you're not doing things right. But I think over time you you have a greater ability as you get to know people and they know you um, to manage your time a little bit better. Now, I say that midweek in at all in, in my work. It's always busy. So I might leave on a Tuesday morning at seven o'clock and I mightn't see the, the boys or Paul properly. Paul I would because I, I if even if I'm home late he's still up, but they might be in bed. So I might not see them properly till Friday. And that I find tough. And I try not to let that happen every week. But I suppose when I do that then I try and keep my weekends somewhat free. So again, I'd be working some weekends, but I'll always try and balance it. Um, and if there's a week that I've been really busy, then I'll try and do less at the weekends. So it's just, it's about yeah. trying to plan your, your your week ahead and your, your diary and, and talking to Paul as well, because he's busy and he's in a busy job. Yeah. So you're trying to organise childcare and grannies and yeah. people to help and everything else. So. Yeah,
0: you mentioned the term guilt as well. And I'm sure that resonates with, a lot of parents' guilt for being away. I have made sure to ask all the um, dads that come on the podcast whether they felt guilt as well, because I often feel society expect mums to feel guilty, at dads no, not right. to yeah. when they are in a, in a very busy job like yourself. What advice would you offer to parents that would be facing similar emotions of guilt?
2: I suppose it, it's just, I mean, if you're away and it's because you're working, it's because you're working for them and you're working because, you know, you, you want to have a good life and you want them to have a good life. And you, you have to think of that always. But, you know, if you're missing them for a day, know that you'll be able to make up time elsewhere. And it's just it is about internalising. Well, look, this is for today or tomorrow, but I'll be home then and I'll be able to see them. And and I I, I mean, dads absolutely do feel guilty. I know Paul, Hates when he's not at home for a couple yeah. of days and he's he's probably worse than me, actually. He really, he, he misses them and uh, in the same way I would. But I think you just have to accept that what you're doing is that you're working to provide for them and, you know, for yourself. And when you go away on holidays then or when you're able to do something nice, it's worth it because you're able to do that with them and you're able to do that for them. Now, if I wasn't seeing them all the time or if I, you know, if I was working constantly and at weekends, then I think I'd have to reevaluate and say, okay, this isn't working. But, you know, I think for the most part, um, I do get a relatively good balance. Some weeks I don't and some weeks are better. But, you know, in a couple of weeks, Paul has to be away for a few nights. So I've said, right, I'm not working late those nights. I'm going to be home on time and you just have to stick to it and you have to do it. And it works. You can make it work.
0: And it's interesting as well that you've sort of justified the long working hours a couple of times, that it's for the kids. And I often feel that parents, mothers in particular, may shy away from saying this is something for me as well, not just for the kids, that they feel that if they say that, they'll be labelled as selfish. And I think it's important to celebrate the fact that mums are doing this for themselves as well as for their babies. And it's OK to say that. Yeah, I mean, I that.
2: love my work. Yeah. And I mean, in the work that I'm doing at the moment in in the Department of Justice, um, you know, I work with the Gardaí, I work with... The court service I work at the prison service I'm doing a huge amount of work on domestic violence and you know it's it's amazing work and when you're meeting amazing people you, you feel you hope and I hope that I'm contributing towards something positive that's going to be positive for other people's lives as well so you know I, I look at it in a way that I'm doing it for them but I'm also as you say, doing it for me and it's something I enjoy and it's something that I hope will help other people as well, some of the, the work that I'm doing. Yeah, I
0: mean, I have to say it does it really comes across I think you are an you're an amazing minister in your ability to communicate with the public. You're very approachable and I think the messages you send, it's clear that you are concerned about the problems that are facing the Irish society and that you are working towards solving them. And I think it's a testament to yourself and it does come across how much you're enjoying this and how much you're kind of doing this not just for yourself but for the kids and for the Irish public. I think you're one of the most approachable ministers. You mentioned as well previously that on that, on the aspirations, that you never sort of are ruling anything going down, going into the future. So how do you envisage your political career down the line?
2: I don't know, honestly. Um I kind of take it day by day and week by week and I know people don't believe me when I say that. Everyone thinks I've, you know, bigger aspirations. And, and I've always said I'm ambitious. And I mean that in that what I'm, you know, in what I'm doing. And, you know, my focus really is like, I, I'm I'm really delighted that I've had a chance to stay in the Department of Justice. People don't always get a chance to have a long period in a particular department. And in politics, everything takes twice as long as you want it to. You never get as much done as you'd like it, it you know. So the fact that I have had a longer time and will hopefully have even longer now to be able to complete some of the work that I'm doing. That for me is kind of what I'm focused on and what really drives me at the moment. Beyond that, I mean, it's getting elected again. And, and, you know, it's the unusual thing about politics. You have to do a fairly big interview every couple of years and uh, you're out and canvassing. And, and, you know, after that, who knows, because uh, you don't know how governments work or how they're formed or who's in them. So things can change very, very quickly. Um, in politics things change literally in a matter of five minutes so that's kind of the way I look at it there's no point in planning for 10 years time because you really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow um, and so my ambition is really to try and achieve as much as I can in the department I'm in and you know I have a wonderful constituency and whenever I'm kind of stressed or there's a lot going on or you're kind of thinking everything is just not working the, the way you want it to. I always like to get out and do a bit of canvassing and knock on doors and talk to people. And I think that grounds you as well and kind of brings it back to, well, what am I doing here? And what am I, what what, what is my job? It's working for the people who've elected me. And it's just trying to get all of that
0: balance. Great. Um, and just finally, what message do you hope to send to women, especially mothers that are trying or aspiring to have a career in politics?
2: Just go for it. I, I think women just think that they wouldn't be a, a lot of women think that that they wouldn't be able to or that it wouldn't be for them. But I'd say just go for it. Um, you know, make sure you have a good team around you, no matter who you are, whether you're a man or a woman. I think in politics, you need to have a strong team around you, a good family, some sort of support. Um, but just go for it.
0: Helen, thank you so much for coming on the Baby Tripodcast. podcast. at all. Thank you for having me. We really, really um, appreciate the time. We know you're very busy and we really appreciate you coming on. And I'm sure parents are going to find this and many, many people, regardless of whether their parents are not going to find this interview, um, that it resonates with them. So thank you so much.
2: And can I just say thank you because I've uh, I've had your help and support twice now with both of my children and it's been really, really appreciated. So thank you very much.
0: Uh, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Baby Tribe podcast. We hope you found inspiration and valuable insights to help you on your parenting journey.
1: Remember, you're doing an amazing job. Thanks for being part of the Baby Tribe community. See you next week.